Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, a brand new 2021 inaugural episode of uh, of the of the podcast that's been going now for God, how many years have we been doing this? How many years have we been doing this, Aaron? I, I should know it. I'm I asking don't. you a question that I should know the answer to, but yeah, it's, I, at I least a decade. Oh, it's more than that. I I feel like it was like 2007. Yeah. 2008 maybe i don't know <laughs> it's, it's, it's been like 12 or so years it's been but, a long you know run what? we have been pl- but we haven't run out of material because uh the gospel is that big recovery is that big uh and i don't think we'll ever plumb the depths completely of the wisdom that's available to us and i i also i think in humility i have to accept the fact that some of what we cover in these later episodes we covered in early episodes but i have a great forgetter and i need to be reminded of some of the basic you know facts and truths uh and principles of recovery i just love that you didn't take that as a personal so, identity statement you didn't say you are a great forgetter but you have a great forgetter it's like this machine <laughs> that's right yeah in our brains that just threw everything up <laughs> god damn forgetter exactly you know my wife has a great forgetter and i'm grateful for it because uh, we're still together and and um you know we had uh you know, she gave birth three times. And if she didn't have a great forgetter, that would only happen once. You know what I mean? That That uh, is, is an insane thing that God has put in women. And I, and I think in all of us <laughs> for different things, but I yeah, yeah. am amazed at how uncomfortable the pregnancy is, how hard yeah. the labor was for Jenny, at least yeah. not, not smooth. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. in like four months, she's like, we should have another baby. I'm like, what? I didn't forget those months. This is insane. Uh, yeah. I remember after Samuel, I was so blown away. I thought this is God built you with this or else uh, yeah. we, there yeah. would only be single children households anywhere ever. That's right. That's right. So you're in Florida so, right I mean, now. You've been, you've been away. You were away for... Uh, New Year, you were here for Christmas. I was away for Christmas. We, yeah, we left on the 15th of December. Oh, my gosh. You've been gone a long here. time. Yeah. We've been gone a long time, and we're going to be here all the way at least till the end of January. What What are people uh, called that go uh, yeah. to uh, Florida for the winter? Winter birds? Or snowbirds. The, snowbirds. I knew there were yeah, birds involved. Snowbirds. Are you snowbirds? I am, at, I am at that age. And, you know, I'm in my 60s now, which just... I mean, I, I can't process that, but it's actually true. I'm in my 60s. And, you know, when you kind of cross that line, there is this voice that starts up in the back of your head that you never heard before. Whenever it starts to get a little bit chilly, there's this voice in your back in the back of your head that goes, it's time to go to Florida. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Straight out of Seinfeld yeah. and into your brain. Yeah, that's, it's insane. That's great. So you're having a nice uh, time, though. You're enjoying. It's like we're, 65 today. 
It well, Yes, 65 degrees here in Amelia Island, Florida. I've been out to the beach twice already today with uh, with Daisy the dog. And uh, we got one more trip before the day is over. Uh, Allie is comfortably ensconced in a uh, small, I mean, tiny, compact, but nonetheless comfortable little condo across the street from the beach. And... Uh, uh, she's had some challenges since we got here. You know, she came down with a really bad toothache that started right before Christmas. It really intensified on Christmas Eve. Where are you going to call a dentist on Christmas Eve? Uh, We couldn't do it. So, uh, I was finally, finally started calling dentists the day after Christmas and come to find out all the dentists in this part of Florida go on vacation between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so I wasn't able to even get her in to see somebody who could, you know, give her some relief until uh, the second of January, third, actually third or fourth, the Monday after New Year's. Anyway, see that uh, that is that is crazy because it sounds like to me. I hear you say that, and I'm like, you can't have all the doctors just take the same time off. And yet, I had the privilege of counseling a guy in the last couple of years from Sweden. Uh, mm-hmm. doing soul architecture with and he would talk about these chunks like month uh here and a month there <laughs> where the whole country goes on vacation oh, yeah. so everybody oh, yeah, yeah. has to go down to like denmark or something for any yeah. kinds of things and then crime is changes like it's i i can't wrap my head around it and yet it exists so you have like a very mini exists, version of yeah. it but it's only a it's only a week so that's, yeah, that's yeah. Good. So now, but now she's 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 got to have. We've got her scheduled for a root canal. Oh man, she doesn't need this horrible. right now. I know. Followed by bridge work and, uh, you know, gotta, the, you know gotta, the dental insurance that I've been buying turns out pays pays a grand total of a thousand dollars a year, which is a drop in the bucket when it comes to this kind of oral oh stuff. So, gosh, yeah, and, yeah. And you're doing mess. the dental stuff, and then you got to get structural engineers in for bridge work. I don't even understand why that's happening, but you're in Florida with the keys. Those are big bridges. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's it's a great time to focus on gratitude, and there is so much going right. And you know, we have this choice: we can focus on what's, you know, what's what's going wrong or what's imperfect. We can focus on easier for me because I don't have the damn toothache. Uh, but uh, Allie and I have been working, you know, day to day deliberately on being grateful, and we, you know, we realize how blessed we are and how grateful we are to be here. And, uh, and I'm grateful that, you know, against all odds and against all good sense, uh, a wife who was blessed with a great forgetter and with the spirit of Christ and the spirit of forgiveness has stayed with me. I have a partner who's with me. I have no, uh, you know, at any rate, we're here. I'm grateful. I'm, uh, and life goes on. Hey, um, Meanwhile, thank you for kind of holding down the fort for us a little bit there in Franklin and checking in on the place for us. Yeah, um, seeing your seeing your uh, cat Peta. For those audience members that don't know, Nate <laughs> has a cat named Peta, which stands for pain in the ass. That's it. There were many years in the past where I stayed in the house and woke up with that cat sleeping on my face. 
<laughs> Some kind of smothering yeah. serial killer cat. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And while we're gone, you know, I'm mostly concerned about the house, and Allie is most concerned about the cat. I mean, she's just, she wants to know that the cat is being, you know, at least gets a little company during the day and, and has some comfort. And uh, I, there must be something wrong with me because I actually you, really don't give a damn don't, about the cat. But care. yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's okay. I, I sent her a photograph of the cat uh, lounging. And okay. so she felt better <laughs> after seeing that. I, yeah, I yeah, put a newspaper yeah, next to her to know, you know, proof of life. It was, <laughs> was that, that date. So I, I can't just move the cat around and take a bunch of pictures and send it. That would, that would. Work. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, uh, Aaron is 2021. We have escaped the dumpster fire of 2020. I am optimistic that there are good things in store for us in the future. Uh, there are new things. Creativity continues. Hey, uh, I got a link today for a new freaking album from none other than Aaron Porter. Yes. Uh, hey, a, a, yeah. So a short little eight song album. Uh huh. On SoundCloud. Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm, officially going to be done with noise trade that was bought by paste magazine because i was having all kinds of trouble uploading it in december and can't get people to write uh -huh. me back so i am sorry paste magazine i am moving everything over to soundcloud all right. which is easier for Good people for to download anyways so it's great okay so we got this new album aaron my question is are we going to be able to hear some of the songs on the show yes i mean Sean can download it just like anybody can. Uh, okay. So yeah. So I'll I'll tell you what. Let's let's think about this. What? So this is a very happy, lighthearted uh, autumn album. Uh, there was kind of a, uh -huh. there was a yeah. character, and I don't know. Probably what were you smoking when you when you wrote these songs, man? <laughs> I'm not going to do that to my my <laughs> nice house. Make my house smell like any kind of smoke. Uh, no, the, this this album was recorded in I don't know late August through early October when I didn't have work coming in. Like in the little gaps, mm -hmm. I would just record something, and I pulled yeah. a character out from an album. There was one song I don't know, it was probably four or five albums ago, where it was kind of this character that had this this longing youthful love that never came to fruition. I don't know. It, it always fascinated me. So, like, half of these songs kind of get more into that story. Um, uh -huh. So, yeah, I don't know. Before the break, we'll, we'll play one of those. We'll play the song Autumn. Why not? Right. It's a happy right. song. I need happy songs. I don't know what we'll play after that. But, uh, but we'll, we'll give them Autumn right now before we get to our scintillating interview. And, and, you're, and just so the listeners aren't confused, you are not going to be a part of this interview. No, because when the interview was recorded, you were uh, taking care of grandbabies. I was. Yes. OK. However, I have listened to the interview and love it. All right. So st stick with us. Here comes Autumn. And then here comes a great conversation with Chris Moles. Man. 
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We've got Chris Moles here, although I want to, I love mole, and I just want to call you mole because it's delicious. Well, I mean, I have some friends who use that, so that's oh. fine. I just All use right. it sparingly. Okay. Well, <laughs> as you would with mole. It's exactly. not something you can eat every day. Right. Uh, Chris is is the author of The Heart of Domestic Abuse Gospel Solutions for Men Who Use Control and Violence in the Home. Welcome to the show, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Excited to, uh, anytime I get an opportunity to talk about this topic, especially with men. So what sets you on this journey 
to be uh, your your pastor, your biblical counselor. What set you on the journey to focus on this? Well, you know, it was one of those things where, like many things in our lives, it was providential. I had been working part-time in criminal corrections for a few years, mostly working with drug offenders. At the time, uh, methamphetamine was the big drug of choice. And I was teaching parenting classes and life skills. And an opportunity was provided to me to be part of uh, a new program the county was starting called Batterer Intervention. And it was to work with guys who had been convicted of domestic violence crimes. And so I had really little to no experience in the area, but was fascinated at the training and uh, really enjoyed what I was learning. And there was a lot of good overlap and good gospel opportunities. So I'm trying to remember how long it's been. I want to say it's been 15 years or more that I began working with abusive men. Now, there's there's certain stigmas that uh, go with certain issues. Uh, the first one I think of is people that I worked with that were child molesters, and they're just they're just out. Um, but domestic abusers also face a, a big stigma as well. So when you entered into that world, uh, and and you're looking for a gospel solution for them personally, but also to restore them to community, but knowing that stigma was there, how how did you deal with that? You know, surprisingly, I think I think you would find a lot less pushback than I say than, than perhaps you would with uh, some aspects of sexual assault, rapacious behavior, especially when you're dealing with children. But in my world, I actually found uh, if it wasn't a large scale criminal offense, if there wasn't you know bruises or broken bones, uh, the church and the culture, uh, judges, law enforcement. You know, a lot of people were pretty eager to let it slide or to give excuses. So I actually found, to my surprise, a lot of guys needing more intense accountability than they were actually being provided. And you would hear that in the form of jokes or um, mm. just saying, well, you know how women are or his wife is kind of crazy or excuses that really minimized what was actually happening. So I guess that leads us to giving a clear definition of what this domestic abuse is. Because obviously if there's, you know, bruises from some NFL player in an elevator, something like that, that's clear. But the kind that is still joked about might not be as clear. So how do you define it for our listeners? Well, you know, I start with the concept of power. Uh, I say that domestic abuse is, first of all, an abuse of power. And it's manifested through selfishly motivated patterns of behavior intended to exercise or maintain control over one's partner. With that being said, to me, the individual uses some advantage or aspect of power with the intent or the impact of controlling their partner. And of course, pride lies at the heart of that. This individual is generally functioning out of entitlement, selfishness. Um, and, and some aspect of pride. It's interesting that you bring up the NFL player in the elevator. I actually remember that particular case, the Ray Rice case, really well. And most folks don't know that his wife um, was also initially charged with domestic assault that evening. Now, it was later dropped, but that does go to show how the culture views it because she was seemingly aggressive. Now, if you've seen the film, 
I mean, you know who the abuser is. I mean, he could have killed her. So I really think power is such a significant player. We have to have those discussions. Man, so your definition, though concise, we could spend the next like 12 hours unpacking that. I'm hearing control and power, both of which we need to talk a little bit about, but not just, uh, what were the, you said intent, what was the other I word used in there? Um, An impact, intentions and impact. Right. So it's very easy to explain away intention, Mm -hmm. but it is the victim who describes the impact. Sure. So that's important because often we talk about domestic abuse. We want to talk about the situation and we'd rather not talk about the what could be considered the subjective impact to another person. We want to try to make it objective, but it's, it's much more nuanced than that. Right? Oh, absolutely. I think one of the mistakes that I think we make is we, we talk about this topic as if it sits on a line, we have a linear view, right? And so what a lot of people want to do is they want to say, okay, Chris, where's the point? Where's the point on the line? where this ceased to be relational difficulty, communication problems, marital conflict, and it became abuse. But domestic abuse isn't an event or an incident. It certainly can be that criminally. But when we're talking about a pattern of power and control, it's important to recognize that abuse is the construct we use to help us understand what's happening. Sometimes I'll equate it to like an umbrella, you know, the wire frame of an umbrella is, um, is what holds the fabric in place to make it effective. And so the behaviors consistent with abuse are just that. They're just behaviors. And sometimes they can be innocuous or uh, they can be innocent seeming, but with the right framework, they can be powerful and effective to control an individual. And so it's not just a matter of defining abuse or emotional abuse or psychological abuse or any other term we want to use. It's really understanding that these tactics are spread over a framework of both intention and then, of course, impact that creates a culture and a climate of threat and fear. And seeing it in the whole picture, I think, is what will enable us to effectively challenge it rather than simply, you know, kind of sticking our, our finger in the hole, as it were, to hold back the, the, uh, the waves of water, you know, to hold back the, the bursting dam we actually can make genuine repairs that can fix uh, things at the level of the heart. So let's talk a little about control. I am a, uh, a control addict in recovery that didn't have any idea how much of a control freak I was until a, a very specific week of my life about a dozen years ago, which I'm so thankful for. But after that week, I could look back and say, oh, my gosh, I, I was trying to control so many things that I didn't even realize I was trying to control, but I was deeply in control freak mode. Mm-hmm. So how, do we, how can we help people understand what control even means? Because they might not think that they're trying to control anyone. They're just reacting. To situations. Yeah. So, you know, every one of us as humans, one of the, the great temptations and realities of being a person 
is that we will practically deny the sovereignty of God by implementing controlling actions in, in everyday life. Many of us try to control people, situations, circumstances, and outcomes. I think the, the whole COVID pandemic has been a case study in that and how many of us have, have tried to control our own fate. And that's just part of being human and part of balancing the fragility and the depravity of man. Now, in the area of abuse, it, it does take on a little bit more significance in that the aspect of control is accompanied by power and the outcomes um, affect an individual in such a way that it creates threat or fear. And really, that's where we get into some of the nuance of understanding violence. You know, is violence only physical acts or is violence the threat and potential of physical acts? You know, does a, an individual have to be physically violent or can they, by sheer potential, create fear? And I've seen that in so many guys who will even say to me, well, I don't want to do that physical stuff because that'll get you arrested. Or perhaps they've used one act of physical force like strangulation or even intimidation to control their partner for years because their partner knows that they don't want to experience that act of violence again. And so control in cases of abuse carry with it this aspect and idea of coercion and coercive threat where there is a fear accompanied by that level of control. So it does go a little bit more beyond you know, I have to make sure the end of my toothpaste is rolled up or, you know, I need to have things a certain way in my car, um, as opposed to what we're dealing with with abuse, which is I need you to conform or there will be consequences. Okay. So is that, I mean, that's a, a bit of a litmus test right there is the need for somebody else to conform and I can impose consequences, whether in threat or in actual behavior, would would you say that's the, a, a big way of someone understanding that they're exerting yeah, I mean, inappropriate control? Sure. I mean, obviously, if the imposition of your will um, takes priority over the care and concern for another, then that should be a giant red flag. Like I've had many discussions with men over the years where, quite frankly, getting their way, kind of a James Four type of uh, thought process, what causes fights and quarrels among you, it's your desires that work within you, you want something, but you can't get it, so you kill and you covet. That type of idea of, you know, my desires are more important than my wife's safety uh, are conversations that I've had probably hundreds of times over the years of just, you know, that light switch moment of saying where a guy says, you know, you're, you're right. I cared more about my fake understanding of peace than I did about the gospel of peace. What do you mean by fake understanding of peace? So a lot of people pursue peace and quiet. They pursue peace as a uh, absence of conflict, you know, and what they settle for is fear. Uh, it's the idea of, you know, I want to be respected, but if I can't be respected, I'll be feared in much the same way. We want peace, but we don't want peace that only the cross can bring, right? I mean, Jesus brought us peace through sacrifice and service. Uh, the alternative was the Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome, which was peace at the tip of a sword. That's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to threaten people into conformity and call it peace, right? right than to serve people. So that peace is just, I got all of you to shut up 
and do these certain things that right. don't cause disruption right. while inside they might be in turmoil. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk for a moment about rage because years ago we did a, uh, a, an anonymous survey with a lot of men. And one of the, the highest ranking things that men said they were dealing with was rage, but you don't consider rage as being the biggest problem, right? It's, this is, this is uh, something that's being used again to what create the talk to me about rage and, and so, how you feel about it in men. Sure. So, you know, if we're going to take the, the category of rage from, let's say, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, around verse 31, which is one of those six expressions of sinful anger, right? Um, anger, rage, brawling, slander, malice, etc. If, if we're going to say you know, rage is an expression of anger, often what I see, it's not always, but often what I see is this explosive anger is much more of an effective tactic to get what I want than it is a uh, a natural you know consequence or just something that happens. Um, another thing that I've seen a lot is that in our society, a lot of men feel really free to be angry, but they don't feel free to emote any other way. Like it's when I'm sad, I'm angry. When I'm right, afraid, right, right. I'm angry. When I'm disappointed, I'm angry. And so everything comes out explosive. And I guess, I mean, we can dig a little deeper into it, but I think for me, going back to Ephesians 4 for just a second, 31 and 32, I think verse 31 is about six expressions of sinful anger. And verse 32 is about three alternatives um, with righteous anger. It's okay to be angry. The, The passage even says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And what, what does righteous anger look like? Well, I think in verse 32 of that passage, it looks like kindness and compassion and forgiveness, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so we can be angry at injustice. We can be angry. But the rage piece, I think, is when we don't get what we want. We explode. Right. So let's, let's pause on that because I think anger doesn't get its proper due in that it's, it's one of the emotions that God straight up says he has it's part of his image in us so for us just to say if i feel angry or if somebody else feels angry they need to get over it or i need to not have that feeling no that's that would be to suppress the image of god in us but man is it a a dangerous fine line like you said that it can it can get twisted just like god is jealous but our jealousy can become dangerous and not at all godlike. There are lots of emotions that walk on that fine line. So if there is somebody who has been experiencing anger and it becomes rage, and maybe it has since they were young, um, what, you know, they might be listening to this saying like, well, okay, what the heck am I supposed to do about it? I, it just comes out. You're saying I'm trying to get what I want. Okay, well, I, I want to change that. What is the process that they can go through to address that? Well, I mean, I can give, I can give some pointers. I think it'd be helpful to engage in uh, discipleship or counseling if you're looking for um anger management, or even overcoming anger. 
Um, because anger isn't a, or abuse is not an anger problem, they often go hand in hand, but they're not um, sequential or necessary for each other. Like there's plenty of polite abusers out there. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't address it as head on. I think the first thing I would say to that is often, you know, the distinction between our sinful anger and our righteous anger is who is the centerpiece of the injustice. And for many of us, there's some worldview development needs that needs to happen that uh, if God and, you know, Jesus are the centerpiece of our worldview, then we judge injustice based upon their heart. Um, But unfortunately, when rage is expressed and explosive anger comes out, usually, uh, at least my experience has been, the centerpiece is my own desires. And I can really begin to trace that back and say, okay, I'm expressing a sense of injustice. Something is wrong. I'm not okay with this. But then the question to the house then is, what is it that I'm not okay about? And then I push that through a biblical lens. And a lot of times it's selfish and that's okay to acknowledge, but that's where repentance comes in. Uh, That's, that is a great question to ask for, well, for me, I I was going to say for all of us, but I don't know who's listening, so I can't judge them. Uh, But let's, let's go back. uh, Cause you've said two things that I think need to be addressed practically. Um, one, if rage isn't necessarily the core issue, if somebody is dealing with cycles of outbursts that are about power and control and their disappointment that they haven't got what they want, they're the center of it, where would you recommend they start? Because if rage isn't the issue, is that the thing that they go to try to deal with or do they need to go and deal with something else first? Well, if an individual has come to the conclusion that they are abusive, which is, which by the way, is a very rare conclusion without consequences. Most of the time, abusive individuals will only begin to pursue change when they are experiencing consequences because, again, entitlement and pride are such a central central theme. Um, Abusive men in particular often see themselves as misunderstood, not wrong. So, there's usually this minimization and denial and blame that really needs to be uprooted, that pride being uprooted. I'll go one step further to say, you know, as we're talking about emotions and emoting, I actually find that fear is a much more primary emotion than anger. Now, it's fear that's rooted in pride. That's what the world would call insecurity. And I want to be very clear to say that I'm not saying that insecure people uh, are abusive. I, I would I would switch that and say that abusive people are insecure because abuse will make you insecure. If you're trying to control other people, uh, you will inevitably be insecure. That fear will come out, fear of failure, fear, fear of being found out, fear of not getting what I want. So I actually find that pride and fear are kind of kissing cousins in this work and far more likely to be at the root than anger. Anger, absolutely, as an expression totally um, present and effective. Anger will get you what you want if you use it correctly, if that's what you're going after. But fear and pride are really at the heart. Okay, so what, uh, again, where would you say that person, whether they now have a fear of the consequences or have come to the reality that this is a problem for whatever reason, 
where do they start to find help? Oh, so, you know, practically speaking, I'll, I'll go practically, then I'll go philosophically or theologically. Practically speaking, your best bet is to reach out to someone who has um, training in the area of the dynamics and impact of abuse. That may or may not be a counselor, um, although you can ask those questions. It's okay to interview potential counselors. Uh, the other okay. place wait, is wait, perhaps pause, a... Um, wait, I got to pause right. you here, Chris. This sure. is so critical what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Because number one, mm -hmm. uh, in, in my dealing with this, folks that end up going to their pastors and their church, their churches were far more interested in saving their marriage than protecting the people in the marriage. And they had oh, no training in this. So mm -hmm. church to me without a proper interview, it's not to say that there aren't awesome pastors, but they have to be interviewed right. and counselors need to be interviewed. So what are some key questions that if, if someone is the victim, they really need to be protected in making sure they're at the right place. Yeah. So what are some key yeah, some questions simple. that should be asked? Yeah, some simple questions, especially for counselors, are, have you been trained in the dynamics and impact of domestic abuse? And if the answer is yes, it's okay to say, hey, could you share with me what agency trains you? Some of the things you are looking for are um, coalitions against domestic violence or um, family crisis centers or rape and sexual assault prevention centers. You're looking for places that actually have a case log of, of this. Um, you know, another good tell is if your counselor has a social work background, uh, they are much more likely to have interacted with cases of abuse than, say, um, your licensed counselor in the area. It's not to say that your LPC uh, or even your biblical counselor in your area will will not be experienced. They may very well. I'm just saying the odds are really good that a social worker's dealt with this before. Uh, so that'd right. be the first so question. You know, have you received training and who from? Yeah, that's great. And just because they might be a certified marriage and family therapist does not mean they were trained in this, and and here's the danger again, because I'm trying to be really practical for our listeners here. Uh, I can picture many counselors saying, "Well, yeah, I'm I've totally been trained in that," meaning they had a what few week a month portion of one course that touched on this that isn't <laughs> maybe the same a chapter thing. in a textbook, <laughs> right? Well, I was trying to be nice here, Chris, and being nice. Uh, <laughs> But that follow-up question, and, and this can be so intimidating. Uh, listeners, I get it. It's intimidating. It's like talking to a doctor that doesn't seem to be listening to you. And uh, doctors often don't listen to you. So saying, no, no, this is what I'm asking, and pushing for those answers, it's okay for you to do that. They, they're not a cop. They don't have any right over you. And you getting the right help is so important. Yeah. As you're coming into a church setting. Anymore? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's good. I think as you're coming into a church setting, you can ask questions about policies. You know, hey, what's your policy or your, your SOP, your standing op standard operating procedure on domestic abuse? Or 
Have you ever worked cases of domestic abuse? Or, hey, what do cases of domestic abuse look like in your counseling practice? All of those are okay. Absolutely okay. And if you need a little help, resources like victim advocates, uh, shelters, satellite offices, or Christian ministries that do victim advocacy, like Call to Peace or Focus Ministries, are great resources to connect you to counselors that they trust and know. Yeah. And if the whole answer from your church is God hates divorce, uh, the response is, yeah, we all hate divorce, but almost everything God said about divorce in the Old Testament had to do with injustice towards women who were not being taken care of. So if if there's not a big picture of that, or even ask how they feel about Abigail, who was very, uh, you know, she was not submissive to Nabal because her family was in jeopardy. And right. so there was a time where God evidently rewarded that because she became a princess after that. So, I, I, you know, there seems to be some big issues at play here that aren't just God hates divorce, but you could be in a place where you are a danger to the people in your family or you and your family are in danger. And God cares about that. Yep. God cares about that. Yes, he does. All right. Absolutely. So I don't know if we got derailed on that, but keep, I was trying to remember the question before that. I just wanted to stop on some <laughs> practical encouragement for where to go uh, to take your advice on go and go and talk to people. Uh, so we were talking about guys who were dealing with this, whether because of the consequences in their life or they have come to a realization that they go and get help. Uh, not all anger management is equal, right? Well, I would even say that anger management um, doesn't address the problems of the heart. I mean, if you have an anger problem and you just need some techniques like counting backwards from 10 or tapping your, you know, tapping your leg several times to distract you or to put you in a right frame of mind, then we're not talking about abuse, right? Abuse is really a matter of the heart and the mind. It's the heart from a biblical perspective, the, the emotion, cognition, and volition. It's the, the choices and the thoughts and the feelings. And so there's something deeper than just anger. So what, now this is so unfair to you, I acknowledge this already, but a gospel solution for a man who's using control and violence, what, what does that mean and what does that look like versus learning how to count backwards from 10 that I'm pretty sure people learn from an early age? Yeah. So, you know, for me, um, I use um, the letter W uh, to kind of illustrate it with my guys. And I started at the first point. I use the top points, the W. And the very first one is information. We really need to understand the dynamics and impact of abuse. And I draw that first line down to what I call the first pivot. And that is, you know, once we understand the information, what are the dynamics and impact of abuse? And we place ourselves firmly in the narrative and we understand where we violated our family, we need to own it. And that's the first pivot from information to ownership. Then I draw a line to that second top point on the W and I say the next thing is transformation. We need a real encounter with the uh, 
provisional, positional, and practical aspects of the gospel that Jesus died for us and what we do in response to that. What does repentance look like? And that takes us to the next pivot point down to the bottom of the W again, which is uh, surrender. And then we come back up to the third point, which was reformation, which is progressive sanctification. And that's a pretty general view. But when I talk about information, transformation, and reformation, I'm talking about a extended uh, period of time, a process where we are looking at our own sin, pushing it through the filter and the lens of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to do in repentance, and then setting a new standard by which we're going to live, putting off and putting on. I think one of the mistakes we make in biblical counseling often is we jump to put off and put on, and we haven't done the hard work of really addressing the heart of violence, and in turn, what I think Philippians 2 calls us to, which is the mind of Christ. And so that's kind of a very simplistic Reader's Digest version of introducing the gospel to this work. So what can we tell to guys who feel pretty hopeless that they've struggled with cycle after cycle, they they don't want this, and yet they feel out of control. Uh, what's what's the encouragement that there's hope for healing? So you know, for me, I, I think it's a good reminder to to tell ourselves and to be reminded that Jesus, uh, he died for for all of us. He died for abusive people. Um, that there is hope in the power of the gospel, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ, but. Uh, the reality is that this is more than a theological exercise. And I, I've run into so many guys who can articulate the gospel. They can articulate theological positions, in particular, some very specific ones, but they haven't surrendered and allowed um, God to be God. And so there's a point in where repentance has to come in, where we don't just turn from the idea of our sin, but we actually turn to uh, the hope that's in Jesus. That's why I use Philippians 2 a good bit. And with guys, I will build out what we call a tree model, which is based on uh, Luke chapter 6. And we'll highlight the ways in which they've sinned against their wife, the intentions and motivations of the heart, and then the beliefs, the undercurrents that really drew them into that. And then we ask them to replace those beliefs with the mind of Christ, with this from pride to humility. And I know I'm giving kind of a brief overview, but this is months of conversations that lead to this decision. Will you embrace the mind of Christ or will you continue to live with this heart of pride and heart of abuse? And quite frankly, some guys choose the heart of abuse because, quite frankly, it's effective. It gets them what they want. And it's a lot more comfortable in many ways than surrendering to the will of Jesus. Well, Chris's book is available on Amazon and everywhere that you could ever hope to go. I don't know about that, but it's on Amazon. The Heart of Domestic Abuse, Gospel Solutions for Men Who Use Control and Violence in the Home. Uh, and if they want to connect with you know, your ministry, what you're up to, where should they go and look? Yeah, so you can visit us at uh, chrismoles.org. And um, that can connect you to to us and to some of the opportunities we have over there, like the PeaceWorks podcast, uh, PeaceWorks University, and then my speaking engagements. Once uh, the pandemic begins to wind down, I'll be back on the road quite a bit. 
I like it. That's an optimistic view of 2021. I will take it. I will take it. Oh, Chris, thanks for hanging out and opening this conversation. I know it's, it's so uncomfortable for, I want to say, especially for guys that kind of are on, on the edge feeling like, I don't know, am I, I'm, I'm seeing some of the impact of my behavior, but I, I don't know how to define it. Hopefully this will bring up some good questions for them to to ask in their own heart and and ask the holy spirit to open them up to absolutely that's uh that's really part of our goal is to introduce people to the topic and the concept and a little bit of self-reflection goes a long way nice all right we will be right back here on the pirate monk podcast Just as far as where I roam. 
And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and Nate is back with us, sitting in his car <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I've had a chance to listen to the conversation. I was, and tr- I was thoroughly engaged in the entire conversation. I, and I've got to tell you, Aaron, kudos to you as an interviewer, man. You are so good at following a conversation asking incisive questions you track really really well i'm glad uh that 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 uh that you did that interview and i was really impressed with uh with chris man he knows his topic he does know his topic yeah for sure and i i hope that for guys who are just kind of uh like you and i talked about earlier kind of on the bubble with i don't know yeah if things are as bad as my wife thinks they are or you know feelings like that 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 it'll encourage them to look into that yeah yeah because it's it's important you know, uh you know you talked about kind of coming to the realization you know a dozen years ago you know, this kind of this epiphany, like, holy shit, I've been, I'm a, I, I'm ap- operating like a control freak. Uh, you know, I had kind of like the same wake up call a few years into recovery when Allie told me that for years she'd been afraid that I would hit her. Um, and, uh, you know, my control, you know, Chris said, you know, there are guys who are, you know, controlling and abusive and, you know, never raise their voice, never, you know, I, mine was so insidious, but I, I kept Allie in uh, a state of fear and I didn't realize I was doing it. Uh, and I was doing it out of my own fear and insecurity, no doubt about it. And that's a humbling realization to find out that, uh, you know, to see that, you know, what, what I thought was a relationship of mutual respect and mutual admiration. Uh, and, and by the way, a relationship in which I felt, here's the crazy thing. I thought Allie was always in control. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's the weird and tricky part that I, I don't feel like yeah. this conversation, especially when it's the more subtle things like you're talking about. Uh, yeah. that you couldn't even see what was happening uh, in in many ways she probably was fighting for her own control uh, of a life that oh, felt yeah. out of control so it, it's yeah. it's not so simple as an either or all the time but all we right, can do right. is take responsibility for our part in that and right right and seek to Seek to grow and change right. and to do that deeply moored into the gospel truth that we, uh, that the gospel is fully enough for this, that this isn't the thing that has to yeah. fix. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be fixed because our father's love is hanging in the balance, but that mm-hmm. he's calling us yeah. uh, uh, upward to something better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And he is the ultimate groom in this regard. I mean, that's that's always the painful part, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, pretty sure the church didn't recognize him, acknowledge how great he was, and ended up killing him. And he <laughs> let it all happen. So, you know, for, for anyone, any husbands that like to go to the submission passages without that one, 
yeah. pretty sure you have no yeah. idea what's actually being talked about. Yeah. Wow. So anyways, oh, we're going to follow this up. We have another guest who is going to be talking um, from from a different perspective on the same topic. So uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're hopefully going to get a lot of education on this. This will be fantastic. So hopefully in our next episode, that'll be the follow-up. You know, and, and I'm really glad that we're finally tackling this topic, Aaron. I don't know that we have ever devoted the, uh, an episode of the Pirate Monk podcast to the issue of domestic violence and control, even though I do know that a significant percentage of Samson guys truly, uh, you know, uh, uh, regretful and, um, you know, repentant and sorrowful guys uh, have you know, revealed to us in private conversations and in confidential surveys that uh, the one thing they struggle with most is uh, their pattern of going to rage within their relationship and then saying and doing things that they later regret. Um, And not knowing how to interrupt the cycle, not knowing how to heal the damage they've caused, and not knowing how to really, you know, find a find a, a a loving, helpful, constructive way to relate to the person that they love and value most. Uh, it's yeah. a you know, it's a terrible, baffling conundrum for guys who get caught in that cycle. Yeah. And and sure. and for the, the wives and the girlfriends who love these guys and then get you know, get backhanded or blindsided by these explosions that they don't anticipate and which are absolutely inexcusable. Yeah. Yes. And dealing with the heart first and not just trying to control the outward expression is absolutely key. Yeah. Right. 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 Especially if you have Uh, an an empathetic wife who feels that uh, underlying simmering boil even while you yeah. are controlling and maintaining, uh, like you said, guys yeah. that won't raise their voice or raise their hand. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could, I, I, I could never have been convicted in a court of law, you know, <laughs> you know, for being, uh, you know, controlling or abusive. Uh, I don't know, you know, and as Chris well says, I mean, it's not a linear thing and you can't say where I crossed the line of abuse, but here's the thing. Allie felt intimidated, controlled, and at times afraid, which when I learned that news totally baffled me and surprised me because I was oblivious to what I was doing. I was just fighting for survival. Yeah, I mean that that is surprising even for me to hear because you are a mild-mannered guy. Like yeah, yeah. For me, I get it a little more because over the years people have talked about my intensity. Uh if I'm yeah. if I'm passionate, it's intense and it's intimidating. Yeah. And so then it's that weird like well, what what the hell am I supposed to do? I can't like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's confusing, but yeah, I also have had to hear people say that and figure out like, okay, what what exactly am I doing? What what tone or posture do I need to take? Uh, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, it's crazy that yeah. even someone like you 
you know, can, can have that experience. It's actually yeah. comforting to me. I just figured I was just the only asshole yeah. that had people say I was being too intimidating. Uh, so anyways, yeah, you know, and I'm what really, what, what really yeah, pissed Allie off was that I could be an asshole and, and nobody else would see it because I was so good at doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yep. but, but, but she could see it. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. What do you, what are you well, saying? Well, there, we, will, we will, we will, we will continue this conversation. We're not done yet. So it's only a pause until next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you, uh, you know, thanks to our very conscientious, energetic, and endlessly inventive, uh, engineer slash producer, Sean Parks. We have got a great lineup of guests coming up, uh, in the weeks ahead. So look for some challenging, encouraging, and inspiring content to come. I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I benefit from every episode. I come into this thing. We don't script it. You know, we don't script it, Aaron. I am uh, very aware of that. I try to, yeah, try to bring my, you know, just try to bring myself to the conversation. And I always benefit from every time we get together. I look forward to every episode of the Pirate Monk podcast because I can't wait uh, to learn, you know, to find out what I'm going to learn that week. So we got some, we, uh, we have some discoveries ahead. Indeed. And that about wraps it up for today. So yeah. until next time. Until next time. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Aaron. <laughs> well, well <laughs> what do you know? I'm Nate. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>